Hi. Hi, Mom. How's it going? It's been like five years since I last talked to you, almost. It's been kind of a long time. So, um, how's it going? How's life going? <laughs> Sorry. That feels almost a little disrespectful. But things have changed for me. They've been going pretty good, thanks for asking. Yeah, things have changed a lot. I'm 16. I'm in high school. I'm a writer now. I'm a writer now. Can you believe that? That came out of nowhere. Why did I become a writer? Sorry I didn't end up like a dancer or a piano player. I know that was kind of the trajectory we were going on, but we got writer instead. <laughs> Before you ask, yes, I do write about you. I thought you would want to know. It's kind of weird how much stuff happens because of you. Like, you're not even here, but still, you're making things happen. That's so strange. I think my whole sense of humor has changed because of you dying. Which is to say, I find it so funny to see how people react when I tell them my mom died. It's like the funniest thing in the world. People get so uncomfortable, they freeze, kind of like panicky. It's hilarious. I mean, no comedy has ever topped that for me. You know, I, I say this, but I have no clue how to respond when someone tells me they have a dead parent. You would think this was something I could understand because it's something I've gone through. So I, I would understand, I would get it, but I don't get it at all. I just never know how to respond. It's always some awkward, like, cool, which I don't think is the correct way to respond when someone goes, oh, I've lost my mom and I am very sad about this dramatic loss in my life. And I'm like, oh, nice. Maybe we can form a club or something. That's not it. That's not what I should be saying. You were much better with people than I am. Obviously, I didn't inherit that trait. You were very good at it. You always had a good energy. You were very energetic. You, you would always be the life of a party, which I don't really know if that applies to you anymore, unless that party is awake. But of course you were good with people. You were a party planner. I feel like it's kind of important to be the life of a party and have that energy when you're planning a party. I do remember very specifically that you were going to throw me the bestest, greatest, cutest, sweet 16 and wedding. Those were the two. And it didn't matter what I wanted. It was going to be big and it was going to be fantastic. Don't feel that bad. You couldn't have planned my sweet 16 anyways, because we were still in quarantine. That's something you've missed. Here, let me update you on that. There was a global pandemic, and then we've been in quarantine for over a year. I know, it's insane. That's not so bad to miss in life. I mean, the whole watching your daughter grow and mature, that's got to sting a little. But quarantine? Not so much. I've become re-obsessed with Scrabble over quarantine. I mean, a true obsession. It's a little unhealthy. I love it. I'm so good at it. I think I, I just like to win, you know? And I don't lose. Let's make one thing clear right now. I do not lose. I just love Scrabble. But I don't actually know if I'm good at it. Because either I am good at it, or the people I'm playing are just really bad. I cannot tell, but I just love Scrabble. I've gotten so into it. 
And I've realized that my obsession with Scrabble goes way before, like way back when. In maybe fifth grade, when I'd play with you a lot, I feel like that was like a time I played Scrabble with you a lot, and I lost every single time. I mean, obviously, you knew more words than me. I was like 11. But I was really determined to win, and and I kept losing, and you weren't going to let me win. That was never something that was going to happen. I wanted to win on my own accord, but I never did. So I think this is where my obsession comes from. I think I just like words in general, (laughs) hence the whole writer thing. But Scrabble? Just, man, it's so good. Maybe you could play Scrabble with me, but you could use your, like, ghostly powers. Why don't they do that instead of Ouija boards? Why? Scrabble would be so much easier for ghosts if they wanted to communicate. Why do they use Ouija boards? You would get more options, and it wouldn't be as slow. That always bothered me about Ouija boards. It's just slow like, so slow to get from each letter and they gotta spell it out, Scrabble would be so much faster. It takes so long to spell one word, why don't you just let the ghost spell it with little Scrabble tiles? That just seems more efficient. So I guess if we're gonna have a conversation that isn't super one-sided me just talking, we just play Scrabble. And I will win this time. Though, I will say, if you were going to speak right now, this would possibly be the greatest podcast on earth. I got a ghost as my guest. So, if you want to speak, now's the time to do it. I'll give, I'll give you a second. No? You're not going to do it? Okay, that's fine. I won't hold it against you, Mom. Should we, should we start the podcast? Let's start the podcast. Let's do it. Hi, my name is Megan O'John, and welcome to A Dead Mom Joke, where I discuss different secular philosophies of life through the lens of my mom, who, if you didn't know already, is dead. But don't worry about it. This episode, I'll be focusing on a purely scientific approach to what life is. So I feel like if we're going to do this, we have to start from the very beginning. So there was the Big Bang. I don't know what I'm doing. There was no sound during any of this. That's the Big Bang, though. No bang has yet to top this bang. But anyways, it started off as this super dense little ball called the Singularity. And... This ball keeps expanding and expanding super fast, like less than a second, and now there are protons, and then the um, neutrons and electrons, which start to form elements, which one day will be put in a very nice little table. And then these elements start to form other stuff, like planets and rocks and stars and other space stuff. And the universe starts to look like a little something we know, and it's still expanding, it's still going. Science thinks that it'll either crumble in on itself or reach, like, absolute zero or, or matter will be completely torn apart. And they call these the big crunch, the big freeze, or the big rip. Which, I mean, come on. There must be other adjectives that you can use. Get smarter, Mr. Science Man. Get a little creative here. Anyways. 
The Big Bang happened 13.8 billion years ago. That's so many years. And it's really weird to think about the fact, like, this happened 13.8 billion years ago. And then all of this time passed, 13.8 billion years, as we've discussed. And then it's just me on a Tuesday at noon talking about you, Mom, after all of these years. Here, here I am. It's all led up to this. Like, what? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, I was born almost 17 years ago, and that feels like forever. I feel like a month ago is forever. Can you imagine being the universe right now? Just sitting around for so many forevers? That's That sounds so intense. But that's not the important part. The important part is that after all of this stuff happened, that we started getting life. So there were Luxem rocks, and then there was lava, and really tiny organisms, and then wow, dinosaurs, and then bam, no more dinosaurs, oh man. But then there were monkeys, and fishes, or the fishes were first, and then there were the monkeys, and then there were people. We're just here now, and that's what we've got so far. I mean, that's crazy. The universe has been around for so long. But, you know, it's kind of nice to think about that. You know, like thinking about how small we are compared to the massive universe. Your death mom was like one death in about a bazillion other ones. Who am I to get so obsessed over one little death? Actually, that's not fair. That's not fair. But anyways, so all the science is adding up to what exactly? Human beings are on this earth for what reason. I mean, that's the whole point of the podcast. If we're talking biologically, we're just here to reproduce. Just continue the population. Good job, mom. The fact that I call you mom means you did it pretty well. So you're reproducing, you're continuing humanity, and you're staying alive for as long as possible. I guess, I guess you didn't do too good on that last part, mom. But, I mean, you did everything we're here for, if we're talking, you know, purely scientific. Okay, that's it. Podcast over. We figured it out. (laughs) That's all we're here for. I mean, if there are any women out there trying to figure out your worth, it's just, you're just a baby-making machine. All those men were right. That's all we're here for. But, I mean, going back to this, 13.8 billion years leads up to what? My mom giving birth on May 6, 2004, to a little someone I know we all love and adore. Thanks, Mom. You can thank my mom for that. It's just, how does everything lead up to that? As important as I am, how does it all lead up to that? I mean, there's this huge history of, of the universe, and what, I'm just, I'm just here? Just just sitting here, alive. Isn't it crazy that we're alive? I mean, just think about life for a second. Sorry, Mom. Real bragging here. But just think about it. Who cares about the purpose of life? All that's important is the fact that we're alive right now. Where I'm alive right now. Maybe not you, but I am. And that's so incredible. Life moves forward. Death happens, but life still moves forward. All I can really do is keep living. That's that's all I'm here for. That's it. That's all we're here for. 
I don't know if that's terrifying or comforting. Anyways, enough about the actual universe. We're here to talk about people. Because, you know, really, life is made up by the people within it, and the conscious minds are what make up reality as we perceive it. Reality is really just a word. But if we're going to go about this in the most logical way possible, we should talk about pragmaticism. Pragmaticism is a much bigger topic than the purpose of life. It's about language and meaning and practicality, but we're going to use it the way we want, Mom. We're going to use it to frame death. It was made in the 1870s, not the 19, the 1870s, and it basically says that the mind and the body aren't two separate things. We're just one human. It always bothers me that people are like, oh, your mom's, you know, not really gone. She's living in spirit, but it's just her body that's away. Like, no, she's dead. You're a bunch of dust in the ocean. Let's get that clear. You know, I just want to focus on the facts. It's kind of nice to just really focus on the facts and take yourself out of that emotional connection for a second, just to look at what is actually happening. As important as it is to feel emotions, it's just kind of nice, you know? You know, sometimes when I'm too upset, I like to go through these facts just to, like, calm myself down. That all the things I know. You are dead. You've been dead for almost five years now. And these are things I know. And then I like to go into things about our relationship specifically. Like, I know we look alike, and this was a big bond. And you used to sing to me at night sometimes all these songs that I have no clue what you were saying. So it was not in a language I know. I can only speak English. It's kind of annoying because, like, now I can't know what the songs are or, like, look them up or anything. But anyways, I get to strip everything to the bare minimum, just these facts. It's so nice. And I understand. Sometimes you just got to be sad. I get that. Like, it's healthy to be sad. But sometimes I just want to take all emotion out and just look at it from a distance. It sounds unhealthy, but I really don't think it is. It's just nice. But I know pragmaticism also talks about, like, definitions of things. So, I mean, okay, definition of your death mom. The limitations of what I perceive as life has ended for you. That's a little anticlimactic. I thought if I was doing something as cool as defining death, I would get a better answer than, oh, no life. <laughs> but I mean, when you think about it, that's that's just it. But I hear you now, oh ho ho! How do you perceive life, and therefore the absence of it? That could be kind of cool. But I just think life is, you know, your heart beating. Not exactly the most exciting of definitions, but... That's what life is, the fact that you have blood going through you because your heart is pumping, which is taken for granted. Like, right now, my heart is beating, there's oxygen going through my lungs, my brain is sending messages with chemicals and electricity to make me move and to make my mouth say these words and, and to hear myself, and that's so cool. I'm, I'm living. I mean, that's just so cool. I mean, I know you don't 
like have that anymore mom but right now I do and it is so cool so if we're defining death life is kind of a big deal I mean who would have thought one day I'm not gonna have all that stuff one day my heart will stop beating but right now it does and that's all that matters the fact that all of our hearts are beating on this earth is incredible and that's what I'm gonna focus on Everyone has this, except for the one person I'm talking to right now, unimportant mom. But, you know, this is something we all share. But if we look at things through the lens of pragmaticism, everything is exactly how we see it. You know, mom, dead. There's, there's not much else to it. It's just really nice to ground things in the natural world. There's also this thing called moral science which basically says that it is the moral thing to do to further the success of all living creatures. It's very logical on what morality is. I think if you're asking the question, you know, how best do you deal with grief? And, you know, people are like, there's no right answer. Moral science would disagree. You know, there is a way to most further your success. That's at least how I interpreting it. I mean, I guess that means there must be some answer to all of this, this grief that I get, which, eh, I guess, but that's what moral science is saying. There's this recipe for every single person out there. Maybe, maybe I want therapy. That's pretty nice. Maybe I want other maternal figures to fill the void mom. Do I need that? Actually, that never works that well because it's always like, oh, but you're not actually my mom. So it's like, why am I doing this? Maybe I'll like meditation. Actually, meditation really stresses me out. So it's it's a no on that one. And what else is there? There's like talking to people. Does, does this classify as talking to other people? I mean, it's just you, mom, but you're the one I'm trying to talk to people about. So does it count if... I'm talking to you? I don't know. Because, you know, there's no one else in this room. It's just me. Like, I look, I'm looking around right now. There's no, there's no one here. I guess this helps. Does moral science think this helps? I don't, I don't know. But moral science definitely says that there is a way to achieve maximum contentment or maximum satisfaction, you know? There is, there is a route I can take. And, and everyone's would be different. Like, mine's different than yours, Mom. And this, this makes grief not this, like, ooh, abstract feelings-y, wow, I can't understand this. It's a thing. It's a thing that can be solved. This is a problem that you can look at. I guess that's kind of nice because like grief is really overwhelming and then sometimes you're like oh god I can't do anything well moral science says you can do thing and there is something you're supposed not supposed to but there's a thing you definitely can do that is like terrifying though that there is this answer there's this thing you have to do so there's pros and cons because like that's so scary. What if I'm not doing that? Like, am I just wasting my time? That's, that's so scary. You know, like, what if I'm not doing it right? And then everyone else in the world is like, oh, there's no right way to do it. And then moral science is like talking in my ear, like, yes, 
yes, Megan, no, there is. Everyone's lying to you. And now I'm like, I don't know if I'm doing it. This, this is stressful. <laughs> so for that, I do not like moral science. It's like the little devil in my ear in a very strange way. But it is grounded in like the natural world. That's a big thing about it. And the natural worlds can be taken in a lot of different directions. And I think that's kind of cool because you can take other science topics that, you know, are within our world and use them for mom, for for you, mom. I, for people who, like, believe in reincarnation, I always pictured it as this weird version of the water cycle. Like, you die, and then you go up into the clouds, right? And then you rain down, and then, what, you're like a flower? I don't, I don't really know. I don't know that, that much about reincarnation. But yeah, just dealing with grief as science. That's kind of cool. Like all those things I'm learning in my physics class right now, that's actually helping me with you. You know, in my chem class, we were talking about entropy, which is basically the idea of that when a chemical reaction happens, more disorder happens in the universe. Like chaos is added to the world. It creates spontaneity within the universe. It releases it out. And I was thinking, you know, what if you took entropy, but you replaced the molecules with you? So what does that make death? You know, what's death in this equation, in this chemical reaction of life? Because, you know, our presence creates disorder on this world. You know, we are chaotic. We are, we do things that don't always make sense. We are disrupting what would have been a perfectly peaceful nothing happens world our existence is that chaos so when someone dies is it taking away disorder from the world because your presence isn't there anymore so the chaos that you could be adding it is not happening or does it add more chaos to the world because of the effects of your death I mean, that's a hard question. Can't it go both ways? Because, you know, for that person, all of all the things that they could have done to disrupt our peaceful world is gone. The possibility of them ever doing that is no more. But then also, what about the people who are affected by that? Because, you know, I know my life kind of got a little wacky, but <laughs> wacky is not the right word. I know my life just got a little more chaotic after you died, Mom. You know, now all of the stuff you were doing, Mom, was no longer happening, which goes into the first, you know, first part. But if stuff wasn't happening and that also created chaos because now these things just weren't happening and life just got crazier. I, I was a whole different person. I was acting different. I I mean, obviously, my, my mom just died, so you would think that I act a little different. But it did create disorder in my life. I mean, naturally. There's another side of this, which is, I just got a lot cooler as a, cool, not cooler, I got more intellectual, more mature, I am just a smarter person because of what's happened. Emotionally and intelligently, I am smarter after you died. You know, through this situation, I think 
that would be less disorder because like I just have more knowledge and I can understand how the world works and how people function but also it's very chaotic because like you know after you died mom I cried like a bunch oh my god I didn't realize how much I cry I can cry so easily I cry so much like do you remember those Dawn dish soap commercials and there was the duck, and the duck was covered in mud, and he couldn't move <laughs> because of the mud, and just that alone makes me cry. I mean, it was so sad, he couldn't move. We had to wash him with the soap. That's so, so sad. But yeah, I cried a lot, and that added more disorder into the world, more disorder into my life specifically. But then the question is, does this disorder in my life affect the ginormous universe's disorder. I'm just a, I mean, drop in a bucket of disordery water that is the universe. Does my disorder, my personal disorder, actually matter? I think I'm talking myself into confusion here. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm saying. Maybe the, all the chaos just cancels out, so nothing really happens. That's... That's kind of depressing. I don't know if I like that. But I mean, maybe it's like that thing that everything is so small and insignificant that nothing really matters. Yeah, you die, and then the disorder and order in the universe kind of balances out. It reaches an equilibrium. There's another science topic, equilibrium. Maybe life is just about reaching equilibrium, you know? But we can't do that when we're alive because life is always changing and there's like the push and pull. It's constantly going one way or another. But when you die, maybe you reach equilibrium because nothing's really happening to you. There are no external factors. You know, you're dead. Even if there are external factors, it's, it's not like you can perceive any of them. I don't really think it matters if you're decaying because you're dead, so who cares? But your state of being has reached equilibrium. That's that's the point. That's kind of nice, that idea. But also, like, what does that even matter? We said that the universe was, what, 13.8 billion years old. That is so many years. Does any of that really matter? Does the universe change? It's so old. It's witnessed a lot happen in those 13.8 billion years. I mean... The universe has just been watching, you know, all of this, these planets forming because you, what, exploded from some matter, all of these things being made, this life being birthed, you know, that's crazy. Like, if it's seen all these people die, the universe, I mean, mom, you're just like one other person to it. 13.8 billion years is a long time to watch things die. I wouldn't mind being the universe, the universe itself. That'd be kind of cool. I mean, not to, like, not care about anything, but just to watch from a distance all of this stuff happening. I think the universe have, must have, like, a crazy sense of empathy, being able to watch everyone. Their emotional level. Why is the universe suddenly a they? It's more of an it. But the universe must have some crazy emotional talent intelligence. I want to just sit there and observe. Maybe if I was the universe, I would understand what actually causes the chaos of of the universe, which would be me. Maybe I could understand chaos. 
Maybe I can look at everything very objectively. I don't want to completely lose my emotional connections, though. Would becoming the universe make me completely apathetic? But no, we just talked about it. Does it make me the most empathetic or the least empathetic? Because, like, you're just watching stuff. You have no actual ties to anything. You're just watching things grow, you know? Is is being the universe, like, being a mom to watch these things? Oh, oh, wait a minute. Now we've got ourselves a question. Is being the universe like being a mom? You know, you're watching this thing as it's forming and its existence. It's, it's growing. It's changing. It's, it's evolving into this whole new thing and you just get to watch? Is that what it's like? Wait, never mind. Because as a mom, you have an active role. That would be like if the universe got to mold Earth. The Earth has done this on its own. I, I take it all back. The universe is not like being a mom. The universe is more of like a, a window, maybe? What would be a mom is maybe like the atmosphere of Earth. Because that does something for Earth. That's holding the Earth together. You know, or maybe maybe more like a magnetic field of the Earth. Maybe that's what it is. And, you know, if your mom were to die, if the magnetic field was to suddenly disappear, the Earth would be screwed. But, you know, maybe it's not completely screwed. Maybe the people, like scientists, will make its own magnetic field to fix things. Because, like, I don't know, you died and I thought I was screwed. But I worked pretty hard, and I'm not screwed. So, maybe, maybe the Earth still has a chance. So basically, what I've come to the conclusion is that the universe doesn't matter. I would still like to be the universe, because that would be super cool. But it does not matter. It's just sitting there. It's absolutely useless. I went on a full 180 there, from the universe being the most important thing to the least important thing. That feels like a pretty natural conclusion. (laughs) Natural, just like the natural world. Yeah. So, I think we've done it. I think we've done it, Mom. We've answered, at least given one answer to, like, what we are doing on this earth and what I have to do to deal with your death. I did it. All right. End of episode. I gotta go. Okay. Talk to you later, mom.